0: Good morning scripture today is first corinthians 1 verses 26 through 31. take a good look friends at who you were when you got called into this life i don't see many of the brightest and best among you not many influential not many from high society families isn't it obvious that god deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretent- pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything, er, everything that we have right now, thinking right. And living right, everything we have, right thinking and right living, and clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying if you're going to blow your own horn, blow a trumpet for God.
1: One horn, blow it for God, right? So. because I can Good morning and thanks Teresa for coming. That's fun. So the last couple of weeks I've been trying to figure out who am I and where do I stand with things? And especially last week when the Supreme Court made a decision, I, um, I really struggled with it. I, I don't even know how to explain this because I don't know where I stand, to be honest. Um, and so I wrote a Facebook page blog and last night I took it down. Because what happened was I ended up going on it every five minutes going, okay, how do people respond? What do they think about my blog? What is happening here, right? Because I wanted to avoid getting a lot of negative feedback, and I wanted to avoid getting a lot of positive feedback because I have friends on both sides. And the reality is I don't have a clue how I feel about all of this. And that's not a good thing for a German. I struggle with that. But then I was reading this scripture over the last few days and just thinking about it, and thinking about the fact that nobody in the Gospel, nobody in the Scriptures has it all together. Let's just be real here, right? I mean, especially, can you go for the next slide? Um, the other direction. There we go. Especially since God chose on purpose as nobodies, as folks who are struggling, as folks who are imperfect. I so wanted to have a good Facebook response. Because, of course, I thought my opinion was the right one, right? And obviously, we have that right now in every direction. And then I realized you know what? I needed to step away from it because I realized that my response. My belief was really based on how people were going to respond to me, which is a very scary thing to think about, right? And so as I was preparing for this sermon, um, go ahead and go to the next slide, I was thinking about some of the people in the Bible that are our heroes of the faith, that are these men and women that have done these amazing things that we know them for. But then let me read you some of the things that they're also known for. Adam and Eve didn't take personal responsibility, but pushed the blame on somebody else. Eve, the first woman, couldn't control her appetite. Noah was found drunk and sleeping in the nude. Sarah, the most gorgeous woman, by popular opinion, told her husband to sleep with another woman and then hated her for it. Lot offered his two young daughters to a gang of rapists. Job had to deal with a nagging wife. Jacob was a big liar. Rachel was a thief who stole her father's stuff and then uh, ran away with her husband. Jacob had an affair with her father's mistress. Rahab, who was an entrepreneurial business person, was also a prostitute. Moses was the first one to break the Ten Commandments because he was mad and threw him on the ground and broke him. Aaron, the high priest who witnessed the power of God in all the plagues that he did, that God did, made an idol of God's, for God's chosen people right after all of this happened. Samson, you know, you oftentimes see those pictures of this big guy, he was literally blinded by love He became entangled with adulterous women and then ended up uh, blinded in a prison and took his own life. Saul, the first king of Israel, lost his marbles. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, had sex with over a thousand women. Stupid, can I just say that? He also was one of the wealthiest men of the world and yet at the end he says everything is meaningless. Hosea struggled with the pain of having an unfaithful wife who ended up going into prostitution. Paul struggled when he said, I know I'm rotten through and through, so far as my sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make it right myself. I can't, I I want to, but I can't. And just a few more. Isaac was a daydreamer, Leah was ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Jeremiah and Timothy were considered too young, Elijah was suicidal, uh, Isaiah preached naked, Noah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs. Go figure that one out. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. This American woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. You are in good company. I am in good company when I listen to all of this. Prince, Pope Francis spoke about his personal doubt in the midst of leading the whole Catholic Church movement. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia series and Mere Christianity and a ton of other books, said that his, he had doubted his intellect and his, when his intellect and his faith collided. He said that moods, he said he had moods where faith, the resurrection was improbable. Impro- in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote that faith is not the art of holding on to things. Your reason have, has been accepted in spite of your changing moods. And Martin Luther, who started the first, the, the Lutheran church, Doubted his faith. Go ahead and go to the next one. Misfits, unwanted, broken. <clears throat> Liars, widows, empty, stutterers, abused, worried, adulterers, murderers. You're in good company. But the question is what are we going to do with that? The question is, do we believe that God uses broken people and that you and I are one of them? And if he does, what are we going to do with this? So I'm going to dig into four of those characters for just a few moments. Go ahead and go to the next one. First one is Abraham. If you remember, Abraham was the guy that led the Jewish people that, that, that got the promise from God to lead the people, right? But let me read you a story about him. Genesis 12, then a famine came to the land. Abraham went down to Egypt to live. It was a hard famine. As he drew near to Egypt, he talked to his wife, Sarah, and said, look, we both know you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, aha, that's his wife, and they will kill me but they'll let you live. Do me a favor, tell them you're my sister because of you, they will welcome me and let me live. I don't even know what to say about that, right? I cannot imagine as a woman, how I would have felt being in that situation. So when Abraham arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look and saw that his wife was stunningly beautiful Pharaoh's princess raved about it to her to Pharaoh. She was taken to live with Pharaoh. Because of her, Abram got along very well. He accumulated sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men and women servants, and camels. But God hit Pharaoh hard because of Abram's wife, Sarah. Everyone in the cell, palace got really sick. Pharaoh called to Abram, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me this is your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I would take her as my wife. Here's your wife back. Take her and get out. Pharaoh ordered the men to get Abram out of his country. They sent him and his wife and everything he owned on their way. Yuck. Can I just say yuck? Can you imagine Sarah being sent to be one of many wives with the Pharaoh? And how the heck... Do you think Sarah's heart was afterwards towards her husband? I would have, well, we have children in the room, so I'm not going to say anything. The worst part is, it happened twice. There was a second situation where that happened. A man of faith, a man that is known by so many for the amazing work that he did, really screwed this up. But the same man is also the man that God continued to bless. Go ahead and do the next slides. By faith, in Hebrews, in the New Testament, it says, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. Obeyed, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know what he was doing. I don't know if you remember the story, but God comes and says, Abraham, I want you to leave the land that you have lived in, and I want you to go somewhere else right and that's not a normal thing to do in that generation at that time but the reality is god used this broken man knowing ahead of time that he was really a screw up and that he was going to send his wife into adultery pretty much right because yeah go ahead abram was known for his encounters with god abram became the father of the nation of israel Abraham was considered a righteous man, committed to God, and a man of peace. And yet, he messed up big time, twice, that we have recorded, and there was other stuff going on. Imagine your life, caught in adultery, caught in a lie, caught in whatever it is. And yet God takes you back and redeems your story and does something else with it. Let's look at somebody else, David. David slept with a married woman and had her husband killed to cover it up. And some of you already know the story, but let me read it to you. One late afternoon, David, who was a king, got up on, from taking a nap, and was strolling on the roof of the palace. From his vantage point on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was stunningly beautiful. What is that? with stunningly beautiful women and men. I don't get well. Never mind. The woman was stunningly beautiful. David sent to ask her, ask about her, and was told, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Elim, and wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent his agent to get her. After she arrived, he went to bed with her. When she returned home, then she returned home. Before long he real, she realized that he was pregnant. She was pregnant. Later he sent word to David, I'm pregnant. Married man out in the war and David grabs his wife. Do you know the rest of the story? Rest of the story is that David goes and gets this Hittite the the husband and says, hey, take a break, don't go back to war, go home, enjoy your wife, have some fun with her, covering up his sin. And the man was a man of honor and says, no, I cannot go home while while other people are at war. And so he does not go home. David was hoping that he would have sex with her and then he could just say it's his child. So what does David do instead? He sends him to the front line of the war and gets him killed. David, the man that wrote most of our psalms, the man that was beloved by God, the man that there's story after story told about, is also the man who killed somebody. Go ahead and go to the next slide. In Psalm 63, he writes, O God, you are my God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and to see your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. And part of me wants to go, God, don't you know what he did? He ruined a family. He took a woman without asking. He murdered the husband. Don't you know, and then you accept this prayer from him? What's up with that? What's up with that? And yet, in reality, we're just like it, aren't we? Maybe we haven't killed anybody, although my thoughts at times, Last week, Angel, one of my staff members, um, was on her way home from work, and there was a, a woman in a car, and she was driving very oddly, had ki- kids in the car as well, and then drove into opposite traffic. And so Angel rolled her window down and yelled at her, saying, Wrong direction, watch your kids, and didn't think any more about it, kept, got, got to a stoplight. The woman apparently was behind her, got out of her car, and Angel still had her window open and smacked her. Oh! Smacked her heart. So she has a black eye concussion, the whole bit. Right? And you know what Angel's first response was? I am so sorry for those kids because they saw that. What happens? when on one hand we are real idiots and do stupid stuff, and on the other hand, we come to God like this. That's why we celebrate communion every week here, right? To remind us that it's the blood of Christ that has covered all of our sins, all of our screw-ups, all of our murders and disgusting thoughts and actions that have not represented Christ well. Go ahead and uh, do the next couple of slides. Yeah, the next, yeah. David was known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. But when we, so if you're in a small group with Bruce, and you know we're reading the Psalms right now, and we're reading about all these Psalms, and last week we talked about anger. And oh my goodness, could they get angry? Did David get angry? Like smack him, kill him, just drown the babies, right? Just angry. And yet, in the end of all of those Psalms, he comes back to saying, okay, God, take care of it. You've got to take care of it because I can't, right? Hopefully, David learned the lesson. Hopefully, we learn the lesson. All right, let's go to the next one. Yeah, read the Psalms. If you want to know more about David, phenomenal. Next person, New Testament, Peter. You know Peter's story, right? I have two of them for you. One is the one where he gets out of the boat. So let me read it to you. Meanwhile, the boat was far away out of sea um, when a wind came up against them, and they were battered by the waves. So the, the, the disciples got out on boat, and at that point in history, people would, drive, would take the boat across the river, or cross the lake to go to another town. And so the disciples were all in there, but Jesus wasn't. It was four o'clock in the morning, dark. Jesus came towards them and walked on the water. They were scared to death, going, a ghost! They cried out in terror. But Jesus quickly came to comfort them. Be encouraged. Courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter is suddenly bowled up and says, Master, if it's really you, let me come and walk on the water with you, right? Peter, the compulsive one, the one that just jumps out without thinking. And Jesus goes, go ahead. And so jumping out of the boat, Peter walks on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. And he cried, Master, save me. And Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down and grabbed his hand. Then he said, Faint heart, what got you? In, got into you? The two of them climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. The disciples in the boat, watched, having watched the whole thing, worshipped Jesus, saying, This is it. You are the Son of God, for sure. You know, if you know the story about Peter, he was like the compulsive one, the one that didn't think things through very well, the one that kind of responded just like that, right? The one like, okay, I can do that, I can do that, I will do that, right, without ever thinking it through. And oftentimes when we read this story, we're going like, oh man, why didn't he have enough faith, right? But the reality is nobody of the other 11 got out of the boat. Can we just acknowledge that? In his compulsion, there was also a trust in Jesus from the very beginning. There's that one story. But then there's another story about Peter. And that's the story when Jesus is being taken to be crucified. And most of you probably know this. And so all the disciples... So if you remember the scene, right? Um, They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They pray together. The disciples fall asleep. They keep walking later on. And Judas comes and betrays him. And Jesus is being taken away. These 11 guys have walked with Jesus for three years. Ate with him, slept with him, well not slept with you know what I mean. You know, stayed in the same place, slept with him. Um, and then they all ran off. Just walked away. Peter, the compulsive one, the one that doesn't think things through, says, I'm not going to go very far. I'm just going to sit right here. And so this is where we are. At the same time, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. One servant girl came up to him and says, um, you're with Jesus a Galilean. And in front of everybody there, he denied it. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. As he moved over towards the gate, someone else came up to, to the people and said, this man is with Jesus a Nazarene. Again, he denied it. Salting his denial with an oath. I swear I've never laid eye on this man. Shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter. You've got to be one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he got really nervous and swore, I don't know the man. And then the rooster crowed. Jesus remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried and cried and cried. In our world, Usually, this would be the end of somebody. You know, mess with me once, my fault. Mess with me twice, it's, you know, I'm done. What did Jesus do? Here is a broken man who now twice messed it up. And there are actually other stories about him messing up. And yet, God did not. Go ahead and go to the next one. And then later on, the same Peter <coughs> writes this. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your per- perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. For is this, these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are, Peter on one hand going, I don't know Jesus, I have nothing to do with him. Or drowning, because he doesn't have enough faith. And then just a short while later, he writes this. Lesson learned lesson learned and applied. Peter is known, go ahead and go to the next one. Peter is known for the rock on which Jesus was building his church. Um, There should be one more, I think, yeah. He was faithful to the end and he was part of Jesus' inner circle. Three examples of folks in the Bible out of hundreds of examples of where we can learn from each one of them a real screw up, a real messy situation, and yet Jesus steps in and redeems it. Do we understand that God redeems our story? Do we understand that all of the past stuff that we have done, that we have experienced, that has been done to us, all of our failures God can redeem and make something beautiful out of it. He does not waste anything. Let me talk with you about somebody that's a little bit more contemporary. Contemporary? Contemporary. Contemporary. Thank you. I knew that was the right word. Mother Teresa. Go ahead and do the next two. One more. Yeah. She, if you know her, she's that little tiny lady that was living in India and caring for hundreds and hundreds of children and adults that lived in extreme poverty in the slums of Calcutta. But she is also the one who doubted God. When she died, they found her diary, which was full of really, really dark times. The person that we are all, she has a, a, peace, a Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize. She has all kinds of rewards and awards for her work that she has done. She was struggling with her own world. Go ahead and do the quote. Seeking the face of God is everything. Everyone, all the time, and his hands in every happening. This is what it means to be contemplative in the heart of the world. Seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus especially in the lowly appearance of bread and in the distressing disguise of the poor. Darkness on one side and a heart to serve and to give and to help on the other side. We got to recognize that. All right, go ahead. Next one. She worked tirelessly in the slums of Calcutta. By the time she died, she was just this frail little old, skinny woman because she worked so hard, go next, to develop large networks to address poverty issues. And she received dozens of awards for her work. Here are three of her quotes that I really liked. Go ahead and do the next one more. Sorry. Yeah. Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is much greater hunger a much greater poverty than a person who has nothing to eat. We keep handing food to people, thinking that that solves poverty. We keep handing money to people, thinking that that fixes the world. But that's not it. It is a little frail woman touching a person with AIDS maybe for the first time, who has never had contact with another human being. It is somebody smiling at you in the grocery store when you think you're just done for the day. It is Angel not getting up and doing revenge, but being worried about the kids. The next one says, we ourselves feel like what we're doing is just a drop in the ocean. But the ocean would be less because of that missing drop. So what is your drop? What is it that you do as a human being, broken, neglected, sometimes undesirable, sometimes undesired? What do you do to put a drop into that ocean? I am nothing. I am but an instrument, a tiny pencil in the hand of the Lord with which he writes what he likes. However imperfect we are, he writes beautifully." Go back one slide, I think. Every one of the people that I read to you earlier is also created in the image of God with amazing gifts and abilities and strength. David, the murderer, is also a poet. Salomon, the person who had a thousand wives, was also incredibly wise in his decision-making process. They were faithful people. They were folks that God used. The prostitute, hit two spies and was saved because of it. So what are we gonna do with that? What are we gonna do with that for our own lives? What are we going to do with that in our day-to-day interactions? I think it is so easy to dismiss people. It's so easy to dismiss ourselves. Um, I struggle with running Lifeline. I love people. But I feel like I am such an imposter. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And then I go to meetings. And people ask for my opinion. And I'm like, I think I'm just making it up as we go. Because I... I don't have the answers. I don't have the answer on the abortion and pro-life, pro-choice. I don't have the answers for homosexuality or whatever. I don't have answers for this. I have guidelines through the scriptures, and then I try to live it out. I want to be that little tiny pencil in God's hand. And what about you? What is it that Jesus has called you to do What is it that God called you to do? We can come up with excuses, right? Right now, my excuse is I'm old. I'm 63 in a couple of weeks, right? Yes, Judy looks at me and she said, no, you're not, right? (laughs) I think you have a couple of years on me. But God still uses us. We have a future architect here. Sorry, Sage, putting you on the spot. That's what she wants to do when she grows up. Maybe she is the one that comes up with housing solutions that doesn't cost us a fortune. Doesn't make it impossible for people to live in decent housing. We have folks like Erica. Sorry, I don't think I can do this with everybody here. But Erica has talked with my staff. She connected our staff with a loan officer so that some of our staff members can figure out, how do you clean up your credit score? How do you start thinking about housing? She has come to our center and has read books to our little ones. Do you know what it means when a non-white person comes to our community center and actually engages with our kids? So much better than me. So much better than me because I'm always going to be white. And then there's Teresa, just getting to know her. She has her own stories, but she gets to raise her kids and break the cycle. And then there's Mario, who can tell stories like nobody else, right? Right now, I learned about, earlier, I learned about um, Roger, Mr. Roger's Neighborhood. I'm going to watch that Netflix movie. And then there are the Barnes. Generous, talented, artistic. I was showing off our little mural the other day, and somebody was deeply impressed by that. And Nancy, who can manage finances, which is totally beyond me, right? And obviously can sing and act, right? And then Hamlet's, I don't know which role you're playing in Hamlet. Henry. Uh, I don't know nothing about old stuff, Right? And then there's Judy. And I don't know much about Judy, but every time I see her, I see this loving kindness towards her husband. And I'm sure there are days that are not as easy as other days. But reminding me that even during difficult times, you stick with each other. And then what's your name again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> And then, I really just blinked. Amanda, Amanda she was. <laughs> and then there's Amanda, who is on our board at Lifeline and does our HR stuff and just does this amazing work in helping me think through things. And then there's Brett, who I have known for 20 years, and have seen the transformation in his life where God redeems. And then there's a sexy, good-looking dude (laughs) who has put up with me for 33 years and is so incredibly talented. But all of that in the big picture of things, we get to be God's pencil. You and I get to be God's pencil. We get to be the ones that change this world, this very broken world. We don't have to be perfect ourselves. None of the Old Testament and New Testament men and women were perfect. Mother Teresa, none of them were perfect, but we get to interact together. So everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage us to live into that, to step away from the stuff that we oftentimes feel like hinders us to do ministry or disqualifies us, saying you know what look at the history it's full of people that failed and yet god redeemed it all so um let me close and pray. Lord, well, thank you that you are a god of redemption a god of restoration a god of transformation and that you take our broken world our broken lives and you make something beautiful out of it You don't waste anything you don't waste our hurt you don't waste our failures but you call us to the right living now and so we're just committing our life again to you to the service of being a pencil in the in your hands to draw people closer to you to write a story that is your story to be written in jesus name amen